Hello and welcome to the last episode of our protection podcast series in association with Royal London. Today we're discussing some of the common myths and misconceptions around protection claims processes. We also look at what providers such as Royal London do to give advisors and their clients the confidence that they'll be there for them when it matters. I am Lois Vallely, Chief Reporter for Money Marketing, and today I am joined by Tanya Rawlings, who is Claims Philosophy Manager from Royal London. Hi, Tanya. Thank you so much for joining me. Oh, hi. Thank you for having me. Great. Um, So before we get into the discussion, perhaps you could start off just by introducing yourself and telling our listeners a bit about yourself, how you got into financial services and why you joined Royal London. Okay, yeah. So I've been at Royal London for over five years. Um, the last few have been in the role of the claims philosophy manager. But my, my entire working career has been in claims. So I started off originally at Standard Life and I was there for, for quite a long time, actually. Really enjoyed it. And then I moved over to Circle, it was at the time, to work on the Aegon book. Mm-hmm. And then I spent some time down with Legal and General, uh, down in Hove, before coming back up to work for Standard Life again and then over to Royal London. So all of that has has been in claims, which... Yeah, I feel quite strongly about it. So it's a really good area to work in, I think. It's quite a rewarding role. And yeah, to be in this sort of a position is, is one of privilege, I think, because you can really influence how, how claims are assessed. Great. Yeah, well, that's perfect for our conversation today because we're going to be talking about um, some of the common myths and misconceptions around the protection claims process. Um, so to start off, do you think it's fair to say that uh, sometimes consumers can be sceptical about whether life insurance providers will actually pay claims to their clients? Yeah, I, I think it probably is fair to say that. But And I think some, some research carried out by a reinsurer um, a few years ago supports that. They asked about a thousand people what they thought insurance companies paid. And they said it was between 70 and 80 percent. The majority of people said that. Really? And that's it's quite disappointing because the reality is, you know, we pay in excess of 99 percent of our claims. And, and that's something that we're really proud of. And in 2021, you can actually see that we paid 99.5 percent of our claims. So that was over 630 million pounds that was paid out. So we know that the reality is is quite far removed from what consumers think. And, and that's something that we work really hard to try and address, because the reality is in the Royal London Claims team, our philosophy and our purpose is very, very clear. We're here to pay as many claims as we possibly can. And that's the starting point that the assessors begin with when they're having those conversations. So we, I think we do need to do more to try and help consumers and advisors realise that, you know, we're very committed to trying to increase the number of claims that we pay. And we we do a lot of work with our claim stats on an annual basis to try and drive that home. Mm. But um, yeah, I think there's there's more that we can do in that space. And it's something that we talk and, you know, within Royal London, we talk about that at length to try and understand what is it we can do to give claimants the reassurance that they should have, that their claims will be paid when it matters. Mm. Yeah, definitely. Do you think maybe because obviously there's um, hundreds of different products available through lots of different providers, um, maybe the sort of number and complexity of, of these products and providers might make consumers anxious about their chance of a claim being successful? Yeah, I think that that's a fair statement, actually. It is complicated, and I don't think there's any any way of getting away from that. But part of that is driven from the fact that insurers 
are constantly reviewing their offerings to make sure that it's going to fit the needs of their consumer base. So you want your, your cover to be as bespoke as it can be for your particular needs. Mm. And that often does result in new products coming out to try and fit that gap or additional definitions being added in so that, you know, you've got as, as much, you've got products that can suit as many different needs as are out there. So I can appreciate how that might be daunting to somebody when, when you are faced with this massive big choice of products that all are subtly different. But I do think that's where the role of the advisor is really, really important. Their expertise and knowledge of all of those different products, whilst understanding what the consumer needs is really important because they'll be able to help them choose exactly which product is going to best fit their needs. Mm. But I, I do appreciate what you're saying. It, it's not it's not easy when you're coming into a cold and you can just see all of these choices. But there's lots of support out there to help people get the cover that they, they need that best kind of suits their needs. Yeah, definitely. Um, what would you say are some of the most common reasons for claims not being paid? Yeah, there's probably two two main categories. Um, the first one is somebody has got a product that isn't designed to cover the type of claim that they're trying to make. So that's that's the first reason. And the other one is is often misrepresentation. So that's where people haven't completed all of the questions, you know, fully. So they've either given us incorrect information or they've given us incomplete information. Mm. And that then sometimes means the cover would never have been given had that information been known. So there's those two main reasons why we can't pay claims. But I can talk a little bit more about each of those if, if that would help. Just Yeah, yeah, that would be great, actually, if you could give a bit more detail on those. Yeah. Yeah, no, of course. So the if you look back in the earlier days of critical illness cover, there were some claims that we couldn't pay because they were earlier stage cancers and critical illness was was written in a way that would only pay cancer diagnosed at a certain severity. So that meant there was a number of early stage claims that we couldn't pay. Mm. And, and that wasn't what our claimants wanted and it wasn't what we as a company wanted. You know, we want to pay as many claims as possible. But when we were reviewing these claims, it became really clear that there was a consumer expectation. You know, they, they wanted and expected us to be paying something when they were diagnosed with these early stage claims or these early stage conditions. Yeah. Um, they needed some financial support in that space, you know, to help with some loss of income or, or potentially with some treatment. And as a direct result of that, actually, we introduced additional conditions. And that was where, you know, a lump sum was paid to recognize these early stage cancers and it didn't affect the overall cover you still kept your cover as it was before and you were able to pay a lump sum you know if they did meet a more severe condition but it did give them a lump sum that allowed and provided some support when they needed it mm. so that, yeah, that's a good sense. example of where, where cover has kind of evolved to meet consumer expectations yeah but i know there may be more obvious one is you know where people have income protection claims and if they leave their job because they don't like the job, we can't pay those claims because the cover is designed to, to pay out if somebody can't work due to illness or injury. Yeah. So they're the kind of ones where you're talking about the, the cover is not designed to, to pay the claim. But but again, that information is used to inform, you know, potential propositional changes. But the other one is misrepresentation. And that's probably something that, that we see quite a bit of in those those cases where, where we can't pay. And that's where, like I said, the questions aren't answered accurately. And yeah. the most common areas that we see that is around people's smoking habits or their alcohol consumption and height and weight. 
okay yeah that makes sense yeah and it's it does put us in a bit of a difficult situation because this is information that's only known to the person who's completing the form or you know with their advisor so when we do learn through the course of of trying to pay the claim that actually it looks like they were smokers or, or some of that information was misrepresented that sometimes means that we can't pay the claim now it goes through quite a complex assessment and what the assessors will do is they look and see if it was a genuine oversight and we could have offered terms they'll go about trying to pay something so whatever would have been provided had the information been disclosed but if we wouldn't have offered cover or if it looks like it was more deliberate and in it being withheld then mm. sometimes we do we have to decline the claim and that means you know there's there's nothing we can do to support them and that's not ideal for anybody but i think it's probably worth putting that in perspective because the number of claims that we can't pay is very very small but where we have those claims that we can't pay it gets a huge amount of attention because we do recognize that that has a significant impact although it's a small group of people it has a significant impact when we have to say i'm sorry we're not able to pay your claim so we spent a huge amount of time and it's a significant investment trying to understand each of those claims to see if there's something we can do differently is it with the application questions are they not clear enough or is it is it maybe just a gap in the proposition mm. is there something that we can do to try and pay more claims okay cool um so what can advisors and customers expect if they need to talk to you about a claim well there's we give claimants and, and advisors a number of different ways that they can get in touch with us. Um, we do recognise that not everybody wants to do it in the same way. Some people prefer talking, some people want to log on and complete a form you know, at midnight. So we try to offer a number of different ways to try and make it as easy for that individual as possible to make a claim. But most of the time it does come in over the phone. And mm -hmm. one thing that we, we feel is quite important is when that individual does pick up the phone, that they don't get put through a process. We, we want them to get straight through and they do get straight through to the claims team. And the individual at that end of the phone will, will guide them through the next steps. And one of the first things that generally happens is they get a dedicated assessor. So mm -hmm. that's um, going to be their assessor. He'll deal with them all the way through the claim and they'll take them through what we call a tele-claim. And essentially that's taking all of the information that would traditionally be filled in with pen and paper, but taking that over the phone. And what that does is it allows the assessor to ask additional questions, you know, to speed things up. So if say, you know, they're, they're asking them to, to say about their symptoms, they might say, oh, last year sometime. Well, no, can you tell me a little bit more? Can you assign it to any particular event? But it means that we don't have to go back to them again to get more information or, or do something that might just hold things up. So it's a really good quality conversation that they'll have with that dedicated assessor. And again, just to touch on, on something I said earlier, that assessor is going to be starting from a place of yes, they, they want to pay your claim. So mm. they'll be looking for you know anything you have in your hand, anything that you were given from your doctor, your consultant, that confirms you know your diagnosis or what's happened. And they'll quite often ask you to, to send that in to us. And what that does is that allows us to pay some claims really, really quickly. Because if all of the information that we've been given over the phone and the information that comes directly in from the claimant allows us to, to support their claim, 
then we can quite often do that. So mm. that, that's really helpful. Now, that doesn't always happen, unfortunately. And sometimes we do have to go out to third parties like GPs or specialists or, or somebody else who's involved in their care. And that's sometimes where we start to see the delays come in. And, you know, we have to recognise the NHS are under a huge amount of pressure at the moment. And sometimes that does result in delays in the information coming back. Mm. But we do everything we can to try and speed that up. So we only ask bespoke questions. We chase regularly. We'll ask them if they want their fees up front or if there's anything at all that we can do to try and encourage that response to come back. We'll do it. And all that time, we'll keep the claimant up to date so they know that their, their claim is being moved along, albeit not at the pace maybe any of us would like. Mm. But the, I suppose the point I would be really keen to make here, though, is we only request that medical information if it's necessary. It's not done as a matter of course for all claims. So when we do request it and it's taken a while to come in, we'll do everything we can to encourage that quick response. It's 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 just unfortunate sometimes and with the NHS situation the way it is, we, we yeah, do just struggle to get it back. Yeah, I can imagine. And that um individual assessor thing, I imagine that maybe helps with the question that you mentioned about um being a smoker or how much alcohol you drink a week. <laughs> well, I think having your, your individual assessor does allow you to build up a bit of a relationship and they start to see, you know, very quickly that that assessor is really there trying to find a way to pay their claim. And, you know, I'd like to think that that gives them the reassurance that we're not out there trying to trip them up or anything like that. It really is very much a focus on making sure, which we have to, making sure we've got certain evidence that supports that the definition has been met. And then doing everything that we can to be as quick as we can to get the definition met and the payment out to the, the claimant. Mm. But that assessor will be there for, you know, any questions that they have. If, you know, something pops into their head, oh, I forgot to tell you this, actually, or I've just got a new letter from my latest doctor, then, you know, the assessor will go, absolutely perfect. Can you send a quick picture of that into me, you know, at the address? Yeah. And then they'll revisit that and see if it's enough to fill the gap. So that relationship does help where they know that we're here to, to support them. And also they can just pick up the phone and say, look, can I speak to Tanya about this? Because something's changed. Mm. And we'll go, right, tell me about that and let's see what we can do. Yeah, definitely. Sounds good. Yeah, there is something else actually that I should probably say that they can expect when when somebody makes a claim. And I mention it because I think it's probably one of the most underused things that, that we offer. Mm -hmm. And that's um, Helping Hand. So I, I think you guys have had a podcast on this before. but it's, Yes, it's, it was um, in our podcast before, yeah. Oh, it's, it's just such a, a helpful and supportive service that's in place. So when people make a claim, we, we will mention that to them again and ask them to think about using the services because it can provide support to them and their families. And also, you know, with the health hero aspect now, you can mm -hmm. get access to a GP if you need it. So there's a lot of stuff there that can help with their immediate situation, but also, you know, counselling some of the softer pieces around it that are so important when you're, you're having to deal with a health shock like that. So the process, it's very mindful of getting the money into the pockets of the people it needs to get into as quickly as possible, but also very mindful of some of the additional support that sits around that. And that is sometimes equally and sometimes more important than, than the funds. It's just trying to make sure that those vulnerable claimants are getting everything that they need to try and help them at, yeah. at a time that we recognise to be quite tough. 
Yeah, definitely. No, it kind of fits with the well-being aspect, I suppose. Sometimes yeah. it's it's more than just you know money that people need, especially clients in vulnerable circumstances. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Perfect. Well, that's great. Thank you. I think that's probably all we've got time for for this episode. But thank you so much for joining me, Tanya. I've really enjoyed talking to you. It's been really interesting. I've learned a lot. Oh, good. No, it's been my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Great. We hope you've enjoyed our protection podcast series in association with Royal London. If you're looking for tools and resources to help support your protection conversations, visit advisor.royallondon.com forward slash protection.